Hello and welcome to another episode of Journey to the Rise. I'm your host, Lucretia. As we approach our 30th episode, I want to give such a level of gratitude and thanks to the listeners. You span from Nashville, Tennessee, Rice Lake, Wisconsin, Brussels, Belgium, Bangkok, Thailand, Sedona, Arizona, Germany, Greece, Australia, Spain, Italy, Mexico, Canada, and I'm so grateful for each and every one of you who tune in and come along with us on this journey. In today's episode, we talk with Bren McLean, an award-winning author for her book, One Good Mamba Bone. Bren is an example that an overnight success takes years of hard work. With her dedication to her writing and determination to find the missing link to create a captivating story, it led her to a level of success she never imagined, including having her book published internationally. Yet the path she was on to get to this point in her life was long and winding. However, she admits with quite a bit of enthusiasm she would not have it any other way. This conversation with Bren goes into why we should never give up when we have a desire in our heart or a dream we want to make into reality. Because it is possible to live the life we want. It may not happen overnight. It may take years of work. But the results of living the life we dream, hope, and pray is possible. And it is worth all the effort it takes to get us there. Let's not wait any longer to dive into this conversation. Please welcome my guest, Bren McLean. Okay. Today we get to speak with this amazing author. If you haven't picked up her book, One Good Mama Bone, I recommend you order it on Amazon while you're listening to this podcast. It is a page turner and a half, and I am so honored to be able to spend some time with her. Bren, thank you so much for being here today. <laughs> oh, wow. You really know how to start things off, Lucretia. <laughs> I got a huge giggle. And, you know, a big smile on my face. It's my pleasure. Thank you for asking. Absolutely. Now, I want to just start from the very beginning with you. Where did you grow up? Oh, wow. I grew up on a 72-acre beef and grain farm, beef cattle and grain farm in the upstate of South Carolina, a little town called Anderson. Uh, it, it's, it's not on the map for anybody to know. Uh, well, wait a minute. It's near Clemson, and everybody usually knows the Clemson Tigers, Clemson University Tigers. They've won, you know, some national championships. Yeah. But my little hometown of Anderson is, I don't think anybody would have ever heard of it unless (laughs) they read my book. (laughs) I just have to tell you that. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So you're trying to put it on the map. That's amazing. Uh, Well, you know, you know what I like to say? I like, there's never been a complete novel set in Anderson. So, Lucretia, I like to think of it as kind of being my love letter to my hometown. That feels so good to me. That's absolutely beautiful. I love that so much. And what was life like for you in this small town? Like, you're on this farm. So were you like a typical farm girl running around barefoot? Like, what was life? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Except, you know, I've written this novel that prominently features a cow. So people like to think, oh, Brad, you grew up on that farm and you all had cattle. So I bet you helped your daddy with the cattle. I bet you were in 4-H. 
no, uh, not in the least bit. My mind really, Lucretia, growing up on the farm, was more about the land. I used to pack a peanut butter sandwich and a canteen of water. And this is beginning at about age three years old now, okay? Mm -hmm. And then I would take a notepad and a pencil, even though I didn't know how to write. Uh, we didn't have kindergarten when I was growing up. But nonetheless, I would take this paper and pencil and sustenance and go to the top, the highest place on my daddy's farm, which is in a back pasture. And Lucretia, I would just sit there for hours and hours and hours with this notepad and my thoughts just being out in the land is what i really 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 loved i love that so much it makes me wish mm -hmm. i i would have been your neighbor so i could have sat up there with you <laughs> oh i know it was and then other than that i mean i think that shaped me growing up on a farm shaped yeah. me that that ability to kind of run around loose like we did back then you know seeing things grow harvesting beans snapping beans putting beans up being around cattle being around farm animals but you know really being a, a, a in nature and i think that greatly greatly informed my love of nature and that's one of the things you'll see in the book of course is the land and cattle and i think the second shaping factor for me and i don't even know if you know this or not but i'm a twin did you know that yeah, i did know that yeah yeah and that's a huge huge shape shaper because gotta gotta think about it now i came into this world codependent think about it oh, i came right. into this world yeah and so that's one of the things i've had to you know work on throughout my life is is kind of that issue but I came into this this world already with kind of my better half, if you will. Right. Um, and so Linda, her name is Linda. My name is Brenda. We were the McLean twins. And to this day in Anderson, we're still the McLean twins. I love it. We will never, ever escape that. I love it. What a great, great bond to have with someone so dear, though. That's uh, totally <laughs> we, we we really to this day are each other's best thing. Oh, and wow. So, yeah, how lucky is that, right? Yeah. How lucky is that? Yeah. Yes, so Linda's a sweetheart, a total sweetheart. I love it. And what did you do after high school? Oh, gosh, do I have to tell this story? <laughs> you don't have to, no. <laughs> well, I guess for the sake of full disclosure and transparency, I will. All right, so even though I was valedictorian of my high school class, right? Even though I got a full scholarship to the college that I wanted to go to, I got married. Oh, wow. Come on. I gave the scholarship up and my life <laughs> mm -hmm. and married uh, my high school sweetheart. We'd been dating three years and um, I got married. I got wow. married as a baby. Oh my gosh! I did that. I we stayed married for ten years, and but that that's what I did after high school. <laughs> and then I, you know, I started gradually waking up and coming to my senses. 
and enrolled in a junior college just to take one English class because nice. I've always wanted to write. So I said, Brian, just go take one little class. Just go take one little class. And so I did, and that class grew into a whole semester. And then I applied to Furman University and got my bachelor's in English oh, uh, wow. finally. Yeah, (laughs) I just got a little bit of a late start. And that's okay. That's okay. Sometimes we need to have that little bit of late start and and gain that life experience before we... Well, I don't know about that. (laughs) Yeah, that's how it shook out for me. I know that. (laughs) And I live to tell about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Now, when did you have this story that which is very exciting, just celebrate its sixth year being published, come to you. I know. Congratulations. Thank you. Six years. Okay, let me me put it in perspective before I dive into that specifically, okay? Yeah. So I started writing fiction on September 18th, 1988. And yes, I do remember the day. I love it. I was in corporate America, and I was bored out of my mind. And I picked up, a, a, again, a pencil and paper, and I started writing short stories. And I started noticing that everything I was writing kind of was the same story, kind of was the same thing. So then I decided to write a novel. I wrote a novel. It was called Darby, He Liked Ropes. I, I got a literary agent with that book, but we ultimately didn't sell it. So then I turned to the next book that I was writing. It's a novel called Willie June. And Lucretia, it was based on a secret that a man in Atlanta, Georgia, where I was living at the time, uh, confessed really to me. And this was in June of 1994, I think. Wow. And it was, it was on that secret. It was, it was inspired by that secret that I wrote the second novel, Willie June. And as I was writing it, I came to know that what I was really writing about was motherhood. I really, really wanted to celebrate mothers. And I think at at its core, I was actually celebrating my own relationship and my own love of my mother. We were absolutely best friends. And we just were each other's best thing. And I I don't have any children. But I wanted to celebrate that bond with my mother. So I wrote this novel, Willie June. Well, guess what? My mom died, um, yeah, while I was writing that book. I eventually finished it, but it was a complete and utter mess. And I had two really good reader friends who both had the courage and, and really enough love for me to say to me, Bran, writing fiction this would have been in 2004 so do the math for me so that's what 10 years uh uh, let's see 10 years no 16 years (laughs) you know I tried to hone my skill in short stories I'd written this other novel I'd gotten an agent it didn't go anywhere I wrote this other book so you know the clock's ticking 16 years now and I'm having to face the fact that you know this one's not going to fly. This one's not going to fly either. Yeah. So 
I put it on the proverbial shelf like I had that other book and got busy about life. And then, guess what? Um, I started doing research on actually the novel that I'm writing right now. I, I got to tell you that typically, Lucretia, my stories choose me. My yeah. stories find me. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have more from our guest, Bren, and she talks about what gave her the inspiration to write what would become a book that altered the course of her life. Are you utilizing your email list? Do you know that with the right message, you can convert sales and grow your business with an effective email messaging system? If you would like to know more about how to grow your business, Build a connection with your clients. Please go to girlbosscopywriter.com to set up a free 30-minute consultation and find out how Girl Boss Copywriter can enhance your business. The goal for any business is to grow and reach a new level. Get there faster by being an authority in your industry with a video docu-series. Using video, you can showcase you, your business, your staff, products, services, and your why. Building relationships is key, and a high-quality video can give existing and potential clients a way to get to know you. It also allows you to build a connection that results in increased sales. Utilizing video can help customers to get to know you on a deeper level, which builds a connection that makes people want to support you and your business. By using video on a landing page of your website, you can increase conversions by 80%. 82% of internet traffic consumes video, and viewers retain 95% of a message when they watch it in a video compared to 10% when reading it in a text. If you would like to know more about how you can enhance your business with video, contact GirlBossProductions.com today. Welcome back to Journey to the Rise. We continue our conversation with Bren and we get to know how a cow inspired the missing piece of a story that would inspire many and lead Bren to a level of success she dreamed about. And so uh, this other story started, you know, grabbing me around the neck, started mm -hmm. finding me. So I did two years of research on that, on that book and that's actually the book I'm writing now. We can talk about that later. Yeah. But then, but then, but then, November 5th, and I have a tendency to remember date. I love it. November 5th, 2007. So now three years have passed, right? Three years have passed since my reader friends had read Willie June and said, uh-uh, Brian. But, but 2007, November 5th, um, my, excuse me, I was visiting my father on that farm on which I had grown up. And guess what? It was in the midst of a weaning when uh, beef cattle farmers sell, uh, excuse me, separate the mama cows from their babies. I'm going to grab some water. <clears throat> I'm getting so excited about all this. <laughs> <laughs> hydrate. Must hydrate. <clears throat> hydrate, hydrate. So I'm visiting my daddy in the midst of this weaning. And if, if your listeners have never heard what it's like. It's a very mournful, woeful, primal, guttural sound. Uh, you know, 
mother, mother cows, you know, lose their voices. It sounds something like this. Oh, and they call for their babies. Now, let me just say for the record that the reason farmers do this is because they're hoping that the mama cows are pregnant with with a new baby. Mm-hmm. And typically this, you know, takes place at around age six to eight months. So anyway, I had visited my daddy in the midst of this, the separation, put the mamas down in this pasture and put the babies up in this other pasture. So I drove up in the yard. <clears throat> I, you know, kissed him, blah, blah, went in and probably cooked supper. We probably watched some TV and I went to bed. But, but, but about five in the morning, that next morning, those woeful, guttural sounds, Lucretia, woke me up. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, I get dressed. I go out to the pasture. I see the mama cows huddled at this corner fence calling for their babies. The baby's doing the same. And and I just got to say, I just had this, like, electric current go through my body. And I knew Instantly, in front of me was the missing piece in my motherhood story. Here's what I needed. I needed these cows. I needed their stories. And so within like 10 10 seconds, boom, out with that other Willie June story. And now here is the book I want to write. Here is the motherhood story I want to write. So there was this one mother cow in the deep corner fence whose eyes were cut at me. I felt pleading to bring her baby back. Oh, oh God, it about killed my soul. Yeah. I walked over to her, Lucretia, and I, re- I, I remember, uh, oh, it's going to get me. It still gets me. I said, sweetheart, I can't bring your baby back, but I'm going to tell your story. Oh, and Lucretia, <laughs> oh yeah, that's how it all happened. Yeah, and and I named her Mama Red right there on the spot. I mean, that was it. That was it. I never looked back. I said, you know, people said, but Brian, you threw out this whole other novel, and I said, yeah, but it it wasn't right. It wasn't right. Mm-hmm. I've got to get it right. <laughs> And you have to do what you have to do. It takes what it takes. Right. And I was just so grateful that I had this treasure of a gift dropped in my lap. I feel I felt chosen. I felt chosen to to tell this story. And then l- let me just mention one other thing that uh, my father uh, called me up. I, I left and went back home, but he called me up. Oh, I don't know, a couple, three weeks later. And he said to me, Bryn, don't get mad at me, but, and and you know, that's not a good way to start a conversation. that's not what you want to hear. It's not what you want to hear. And daddy said, Bryn, that mama cow, you've lost your mind over. And I had, I mean, I just, I was just gone with her. He said, Bryn, I'm, uh, I'm going to take, got to take her to the, got to take her to the sale tomorrow. Uh, and you know what that means. Yeah. I know what that means. But yeah. if we have any listeners who don't, um, that means she's going to be sold. And that means that her time on earth has has ended. 
And that's the typical story with mother cows who get old. And I began to cry. And I said, Daddy, Daddy, no, no, you can't. You can't. He said, Brent, I have to. I said, Daddy, you don't have to. He said, Brent, I do. She's old. I should have already done it. But she's such a good mama cow. And I said, Daddy, no, no, please don't. Please don't. And then the truth came out. This is the truth of small farmers, especially in the South. I don't know about where you are now, but in in the South, this is the truth. Daddy said to me, Brian, I need the money. Yeah. Oh, my a, gosh. That's the truth for all farmers. That's the truth it, for all it's farmers. It's a business. And it's a business. There you go. It's a business. But I was not approaching it as such. He of was. Course. So I said, I said to my daddy, I said, so how much, daddy? <gasps> how much? How much would she bring? And I hate that terminology, but how much would she bring? And he wouldn't give me an answer. And I said, no, sir, no, sir, no, sir. You, you have to tell me right now. You tell me right now. And so he finally said to me, um, $1,000. And I said, the check is in the mail. And yes. Lucretia, I bought Mama Red from my daddy and gave her sanctuary which means that she can live out her days and um that was what that was like let's just say at the end of november of 2007 daddy thought she was around 16 then girl she lived until july 22nd 2020 wow she lived almost 13 years after that moment and so here's the thing what i want to say and this because you know what here's the deal mama red changed my life i changed her life yeah 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 that's just so powerfully beautiful and I love how the universe just said, this is a story you need to tell. <clears throat> I'm going to put you where you need to be. And I'm going to get you this connection to this cow. And it's, it, it has changed your life. And I think for those who've read it, it's changing lives that you probably aren't even aware of. Well, m- maybe so. You know, I think uh, Mama Red has touched a lot of people's hearts. Um, and you know, people have people, I mean, it's been astounding. I just got to say, um, people have given me original paintings of mama red. I mean, one is behind my head right now, an original painting of mama red. People have, uh, crocheted her picture on towels. Uh, people are, if it's not specific to mama red, you know, all of the events that I've done, which I've done almost 400. People have given me uh, cow uh, coasters, cow <laughs> towels, cow blankets. Oh, 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 get this. I had, uh, I had a woman who uh, has uh, a sheep farm, and so she shares her sheep, and she's a knitter um, and has a loom and all of that. Honey, she chose colors based on Mama Red's palette, and she knitted me. Uh, a blanket with mama red colors oh wow yeah so it's just the uh the outpouring of love the the hearts that mama red has touched mm-hmm. has, has just been absolutely 
astounding and yeah it's been incredible and watching your instagram i've also seen people make you cakes with her face on it oh right cakes (laughs) and and cupcakes oh i mean we could just go on and on it has been just the most fantastic thing i've ever known oh 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 somebody and this has been pretty recently um is a is a carver a wood carver and she actually carved my book she actually carved one good mama bone out of this wood and then i have and made it gave it some awesome deckle edged pages and i have no idea how she did it but she actually has a cover you know the it's like the real book it's like i don't know how she created the cover for the book but she did she actually carved uh my novel out of a piece of wood wow it's truly just that alone those things that people have created for you clearly this book touched them to a point where they wanted to be a part of the experience if you will and and she's just inspired people to get really beautifully creative with their crafts and skills yeah yeah it's just been astounding and it's been the biggest uh the biggest gift of my life oh yeah that's amazing that's so amazing and people think when you know a writer comes up with this idea they just up and quit their job and then they (laughs) magically get published and they go on a beautiful book tour and you you're laughing because you walk the reality of what is the result of an overnight success and I, i believe you've spoken about like a 20 27 years to an overnight success um how did you manage, like, working your job, doing the story? Like, how, how did that all work for you? Well, let's go back to Atlanta. Uh, when I first started writing fiction in 1988, I was working in corporate America. I told you that. It was a company called Bell South. It's no longer around, but I, I, I did that. So I was I was writing fiction on the side, having this corporate stuff, and my soul was dying. That's all there is to it. I was wilting on the vine. And and so I was so blessed because I had begun doing this training for Bell South executives. And um, I call it media training, communications training, how to talk to reporters, how to give speeches, those kinds of things. And so, Lucretia, I decided uh, one day, or uh, <laughs> actually after I wrote my obituary, I just, it was one of those days in corporate America, I thought I can't go on. And so I wrote my obituary and it said that I was a writer and it said that I was, um, uh, a communications consultant <laughs> and so help me God. So help me God. I turned to my computer and wrote my resignation <gasps> and walked out of Bell South, gave them two weeks notice, uh, just on a wing and a prayer actually. And, I knew that I had the skill for teaching and for consulting, and I just kind of gave it all to the universe, and it gave it right back to me. I mean, it supported me and then some. So I've been really, really lucky because, um, and that was May 4th of 1990 when I left. So in the midst of just beginning to write fiction, I had... gotten rid of my paycheck and all those other kinds of things that you count on right and just just trust it just flat trust it and you know what um 
I gave away my business at first. I did a lot of pro bono work in Atlanta, and then words started getting out. And um, I, you know, uh, started getting business and started paying the bills and then some. And I was thinking quite, quite innocently that it would never take me 27 years to get published. I, I didn't think it would, but it did. But in the meantime, while I was doing that, I was doing my consulting business. And I was very fortunate because there would be whole weeks that I would schedule my calendar clear. So let's just say that back when I was in the height of all of that, I would like do training for like maybe three weeks out of the month and then try and keep one week for my writing. And then as time went on, I did about two weeks and two weeks, you know, and just kind of started scaling it back. But even to this day, I still do that consulting. I just did, I do a lot of virtual consulting now. In fact, I just did an hour a little while ago with a client. So um, I'm glad I did. I don't think I would ever be able just to quit and write. I think, A, I'd worry too much about money. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, how am I going to feed myself? And I don't need, I don't want that stress. So what I've learned over the years is that, you know, go ahead and have my business and go ahead and do that, make a paycheck and, and, and contribute. Because I like to think of work as our contribution of our gifts to the world. And so go ahead and make that contribution and, you know, get you some money coming in. And then when the time comes um, out of each month for me to work on my writing, then, oh, my goodness, I give it a thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and a lot of dedication to make that happen. And I love that you put your faith into the universe and it said, okay. We'll take care of you. That's right. That's yeah. right. Uh, I had a friend of mine who was remarking really about uh, the success of Mama Bone and all of the promotions that I've done and all of the events that I've been at. And, and my friend, Francis, said, Bran, don't you understand why you've had so many events? I said, no. She's, she goes, Bran, Bran, the universe knows you're open for business. Oh. And I, I'm going to take that. I love, don't you love that? Yeah. Yeah, it just gives me chills even when I said it. So I think if I could, like, you know, borrow Francis's wisdom and then take it back to 1990 when I did what I did and just took a leap of faith, um, I think the universe knew I was open for business. The yeah. universe knew I meant it. I meant it. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And over the time of putting your, your t effort in writing, how did your story evolve? How did what evolve? Your story that for One Good Mama Bone, how did that evolve from your idea where you're just writing to yeah, okay. your... To the finished book? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I told you I didn't pay any attention to cows when I was growing up. So <laughs> I, I didn't. The first thing I had to do is, is get educated. You know, uh, about cows. I talked to my daddy. I talked to a lot of farmers in Anderson. Uh, when I decided, because, uh, okay, so I, I, all right, so I knew that I wanted to place these, this mama cow as the centerpiece of the novel, her maternal love. 
Um, but I had to get a story. You know, what's right. the story, Brynn? Come on, girl. So I had this character, Sarah Creamer, um, who is the protagonist in the novel, who doesn't think she has a mama bone that is maternal instinct. So I created in my mind, I said, oh, how cool would it be for then Mama Red to become her teacher, her teacher. So then I started thinking, well, how are you going to have that happen, Brent? I mean, <laughs> she just going to magically drop down from heaven one day? I mean, how's that going to work, girl? Yeah. And, and I'm, a, I'm uh, you know, the kind of uh, writing that I do, the kind of fiction that I do is known as literary fiction versus commercial fiction. Commercial fiction being heavy, heavy, heavy on plot. Um, literary fiction meaning heavy, heavy, heavy on character, which is good, but you also have to have a story, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> so I remembered um, that my daddy... In 1941, I'd seen a newspaper clipping when I was a little girl, actually stuck in the family Bible. And this clipping was the front page of the Anderson newspaper of my daddy with his steer. He was the grand champion winner in Anderson, the very first winner, $330. Um, and listen, in 1941, that is a lot of money. Yeah. Front page, front page of the paper above the fold. Wow. He, he was a big shot. And I remembered when I found that clipping when I was a little girl, I took it to him and I said, Daddy, what's this? What's this? And here's what he said. Go put that back. <gasps> oh. What? And I thought, now that's, a, that's strange. My daddy's a celebrity, you know? Yeah. And he wants me to put it back. So it scared me, of course, because my daddy had that deep voice, and he was very brusque. He was of the military. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I put I put it back, and I got to tell you that over the years, I would revisit it, you know, trot it out, and every time he scolded me. So, so, when I was looking for an actual plot, an actual story to write around, I went, hmm, daddy, 4-H champion, hmm. I'm wondering if I were to center the novel around, put that as a backdrop to the story, the whole feeding out of the steer, the whole 4-H experience. I wonder, Bran, if you could find out and come to understand his very strange reaction. So that's what I did. Wow. Which meant that... I had to go to the Anderson Library to the South Carolina room, and I spent about a million dimes copying newspaper stories. I went back to the years that I was writing about, 1951, you know, oh, 52. Wow. And I was very lucky because every Monday, the county agent had a column in the newspaper. And he would chronicle what the boys, and only boys did it back then for the Fat Cattle Show. The boys, okay, now, boys, it's time to, you know, put them on full feed, blah, blah, blah. So I read it, read it, read it. I copied all of those. So I schooled myself in the process of 4-H and what they did back then. I had to school myself in what judges looked for. I had, because I wanted, because the book is set in 51, 52, I had to get, you know, prices of sugar. I had to be, I wanted to be oh, authentic, wow. to, to really set the reader down in 
in Anderson, South Carolina in 1951, 1952. So I scoured those newspapers. It took me months to do it. Scoured those newspapers for anything that I thought concrete details that I can drop into the novel. So that took a while, that yeah. kind of research. Yeah. So I didn't like immediately start writing. So I probably spent a couple of years because remember, I'm still, you know, working also. Mm-hmm. And I didn't live in Anderson. So I had to go to Anderson. Oh, my gosh. So, I, so a couple of years ish, you know, uh, doing this research. Um, and then once I did that, I began to write and I don't. Uh, I'm the kind of writer I don't outline. I'm a very slow writer, very organic. And what I must have is I must have, uh, I must get my opening down pat. And I had some false openings that didn't hold water. And so, but once I found it, once I kept on and on and on and on and on, once I did find it, I got traction into the book and then was able to finish it. And I finished it in like 2013, I think. Wow. So that's, that's the, you can see I'm, and I came by the story at the end of November, of, well, uh, end of 2007. So 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, maybe six ish years, maybe two to do the research and four to write it. That's amazing. And then things changed for you with your book when you met Pat Conroy. I know. <laughs> so I had this finished book that I was totally madly in love with and tried to get a, an agent, New York, and just, you know, slam door, slam door, slam door. And quite honestly, Lucretia, uh, they didn't know what to do with the book, you know, urban New York. Sure. This, you know, southern small town story that prominently features a cow (laughs) you know that has a relationship with the mother and this mama cow I mean they just like they didn't laugh at me but it was going nowhere and so I tried for a year to get an agent and I mean you know I had agents request to read the whole thing but ultimately everything was turned down so so I was getting despondent I'll be honest with you and I happened to be, again, visiting my daddy, and it was his birthday um, in Anderson. And I'd heard that Pat Conroy's agent, um, a woman named Marley Russoff, was going to give a talk a couple of, a couple of towns over from Anderson about the state of, of book publishing today. And I went, oh, hey, I need to go. So I went. And in this talk she gave, uh, she said, you know— it's hard to get published right now. And this was, girl, this was 10 years ago. It's mm-hmm. hard to get published right now, especially if you write about small towns, especially if it's the South. <laughs> oh, gosh, oh, no. you, know, you know, ding, ding, ding on all of those. And she said, but listen, listen, I don't want you all to get upset because there's a silver lining in all of this. And of course, my ears perked up like nuts. And she said, the silver lining is, um, the rise of the small press. Oh. And, and, and Lucretia, when she said that, my energy totally changed. I could, I could feel this surge up through my body, like, tell me more, tell me more. Yeah. So when she finished, I um, went over to her and I said, you know, thank you very much. 
um, could you give me some examples of small presses? And she said, well, my client, Pat Conroy, has just started, just, like, just started his own imprint, Story River Books, that's going to be uh, administered by the University of South Carolina Press. And I had read some press on that. I, I, that yeah, I said, yes, I have read that. So, you know, I went back to Anderson, and this was in February. It's about this time. And, you know, got on the website and I saw that the submission period was uh, beginning June 1st. Okay, so June 1st. And I said, okay, put that in your calendar, Brent. I want you to submit. Now, in the meantime, in April, in Charleston, I attended a, uh, a writer's conference. And, and actually, I should say not just attended it, I helped organize it. And so I I was doing some, you know, moderating some workshops, blah, blah, doing a lot of, you know, that kind of work. And the first day of that conference, this dark haired man came up to me at the end and said, Bren, I really enjoyed that. Oh, thank you very much. And, you know, if you've ever put on a conference or anything, you know, a lot of people are trying to get at you. So I didn't get really to talk to him any more than that. All right. So. The very next morning, early, I did another workshop, and he, here he comes again. Highly complimentary. Thank you very much, sir. Okay. <laughs> I did another one right before lunch that day. And, yes, you guessed it, here he comes again. Brand, that was really good. I enjoyed it. <laughs> At this time, I happened to look down his chest at his lanyard. I had not looked at it before. And guess what? This, this was a guy, Jonathan Haupt, who was the director of the University of South Carolina Press. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Now, when after, and then he turned to leave, and people were saying, Brand, 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 can you, you know how you are. Yeah. And y'all, this is the only selfish thing I did then, but I just made a beeline. I made a beeline to the room where we were going to have our luncheon. And walked in, looked, you know, scoured the room for where this man might be. And guess what? The seat to his left was empty. And I, I would have probably knocked somebody down to get over to that seat, but I did. And when I sat down, I got down to business. I said, Jonathan, uh, uh, you know, I I see you're the... uh, director of the University of South Carolina Press. I understand that you administer Pat's imprint, blah, blah, yeah, yeah. And also know that your submission period is June 1st. He said, yeah, that's right. And I said, well, I have a novel and I'm going to send it to you. He said, well, tell me what it's about. I told him what it's about. He reached in his pocket, pulled out a business card, gave it to me and said, don't wait, send it now. Oh my gosh. And I knew, and this was like late April, I knew when I sent him my manuscript, I knew that I was stepping in. It still gets me. (laughs) I knew that I was stepping in to what was set up for me. I knew it. And it happened. It came to be. It took a year. It was a long, strenuous process, but it, it came to be. And so you mentioned Pat. So I got a contract in 2015 and um, it was going to be published in early 2017. 
So Pat Conroy, who lived in Beaufort, the whole town was throwing him a, a 70th birthday party in October of that year, October of 15. So I told myself, Bryn, come hella high water, girl. You get yourself down to Beaufort, and you're going to shake that man's hand, and you're going to say, thank you, sir. Yeah. So I did, and I stood in one of Pat's long lines, and I had one of his books I wanted him to sign. And so I finally get up there. And, you know, I had a little post-it note that said Brian that was written <laughs> in it. So he took the, you know, the book and he started to sign. And I said, Mr. Conroy, I want to thank you for publishing me. And he looked up at me and he said, uh, Brian, what, what's your last name? And I said, uh, McLean. He said, oh, I don't remember that. He said, what, what's the name of your book? And I said, One Good Mama Bone. And Lucretia, oh, my gosh. I was already crying at yeah, this point. Yeah. But that man, that Pat Conroy, flung his arms to the heavens <gasps> and screamed, The cow! Oh. And it's like reverberated through that whole hall. And I'm just like, ugly, ugly tears. <laughs> uh, tears. And he says to me, after I read your book, I called up Jonathan Haupt and I said, you kid me, you kid me. We get to publish this? Oh, wow. And I was crying, crying, crying. And just let's think about this for a minute. What the cow, Mama Red, is what really had turned New York and agents off because they didn't know really what to do with it. They would not allow their hearts to get into this story. Right. It's the exact thing that sold Pat Conroy. Wow. And so, yeah, it it took me 27 years. It sure did. I wrote, this is the third novel that I wrote, but I'm going to tell you right now, looking back on it, it's absolutely perfect. Oh. Because to be published by Pat and all the doors that have opened because of that, and the way the press treated the book and, and gave it. I mean, as a matter of fact, the novel was published on February 14th. And I remembered when Jonathan told me that. I said, now, Jonathan, you know that's Valentine's Day that you've selected there, right? And he said, Bran, you've written a love story. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes. Do you see how perfect it is? Yeah. Ultimately, we can't see stuff. You know, we get so impatient and we think we know best and we think we know what it needs and what we need like i thought i needed a new york agent and all that kind of stuff but you see how how perfect it is mm -hmm. looking back it was absolutely perfect for the way that it happened and one good mama bone went to france <laughs> <laughs> because of mama red yeah so this woman marie is visiting the Pat Conroy Literary Center, and uh, she was going to translate actually one of Pat's novels. And she was asking Pat's uh, uh, widow, um, "Is there anything else I need to read?" And and my my book just happens to be sold in the Pat Conroy Literary Center. And she says she the story goes that she picked up one good mama bone and handed it to Marie and said, "This one, you need to read this one." Oh wow! Yep. So she read it, uh, and that was in December of that year, and then in, in, in January she contacted me and wanted to publish it. Oh, my gosh. And loved 
the cow mama red so much and because people in france are very rural although we tend to think of urban like paris but in it's really urban and they love their animal they love cows she actually changed the name of the novel the title of the novel to to mama red oh man and then uh what year was it 21 uh mama red won a french prize it was oh, wow it was given uh, to honor the novel that best honors animals. And so I went to Paris to promote the book in 2018 when it was first published. And then I returned in 21 to accept that re uh, award. So you see, you see how perfect, <laughs> how totally a thousand percent perfect it all was and continues to be. Absolutely. And you're working on a new book that I'm very excited about. And you've been posting about it on your social media. And you mentioned how your character, Eula, will never get to go home again, but she will because there's a power in fiction. Fiction can right. fix things. Fiction can fix things. Absolutely. It's something that I believe in. It's what I love to teach fiction classes in. I mean, just because something happened a certain way, um, fiction can fix things. And that's exactly what I'm applying to this next book that I'm writing on Eula. Remember, I told you that I went through this two-ish year period where I was doing this research on a novel that had me on, it wasn't a novel, but it was subject matter that yeah. had me around the neck. Yeah. It concerns uh, a national event, actually. Um, it was when the federal government chose a quarter of a million acres in South Carolina to build the Savannah River plant, hydrogen plant, to uh, to make the materials for the hydrogen bomb to go up against the Russians. So I had interviewed 40-something people who had become displaced because what the government did is wipe out seven farming communities. Some had as, as little as six weeks to get off their land. And so what I'm doing right now, I'm so excited about it, is I'm building a novel around the one story, and I heard tons of them, but the one story that I can't shake, the one story that bothers me the most. And um, in, in real life, Eula Bates uh, experienced tragedy, and her, her, her tragic life just kept getting worse. And if you think this bad thing happened, you just wait till the next thing. And you know what? Readers don't want to read a real downer thing like that. I mean, so it was true. It's true that Eula's life did not turn out well at all. And so you mentioned the fact that fiction can fix things. Yeah. Okay. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I am picking Eula Bates up at, as an 80-year-old woman, by the way, in June of 1978. And this is the first chapter. I'm not giving anything away. But I'm picking her up uh, in this uh, condition that she really was in, and I am rewriting her life to bring her justice, which is something in real life she never knew. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Mm. I can't Yeah, wait. I love it. I, <laughs> you know, to be honest with you, I didn't know if I could fall in love again yeah. as deeply as I love uh, not just Sarah, but all of the characters in One Good Mama Bone, even my villain, Luther, everybody. I have to fall teetotally in love with all of my characters for me to be able to write them and stay with them as long as I do. So I didn't know if I could 
you know, really fall in love again. Yeah. But oh my gosh, I have. I have so fallen in love with Eula Bates. What an amazing woman. I can't wait. And and there's no cows, but... There's a chicken. It's Bryn McLean, yeah. I saw Uh, a chicken. Can we talk about this chicken? Does she have a name? How did you find her? Well, I'm not... not, uh, It's just, let's just say this. Eula grew up on a farm, a 30-acre farm, and so animals, farm animals, were her life. She had a a mule named Belle. She had a milk cow named Maisie. She had all these chickens, so she grew up, and she loved loved them, but in this, in this, when we meet her as an 80-year-old woman, and actually she's, she's making a journey home. She's trying to get back home. On her journey, um, and she comes across uh, a chicken and she passes this house where this man is kind of being mean to this chicken is picking this chicken up and like throwing her through the air and telling her to leave, telling her to get. And the, and the hen keeps running back to this man and Eula's heart is so big in general, but especially for animals that she, you know, stops and, and starts chatting this man up and ask if she could take the chicken. Finds out that the chicken is old. <laughs> That's the same. <laughs> I, I, I tend to repeat, isn't it? However, this and and, and this man's wife wants, uh, you know, wants him to kill her, and he kind of loves her, but he can't do it. And That's why he's wanting her to leave. But she's not laying eggs anymore, so she's old. But the biggest thing, I think, is that she's blind. She's blind in one eye. Oh, okay. And Eula takes this chicken with her for the rest of her journey home. Oh, my God, I love it. 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 I can't. (laughs) I can't wait. Now, do you have some sort of timeline when we can expect to be able to have this masterpiece in our hands? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, barring something that I don't know, right? Yeah. Barring an emergency that I don't know that's coming. I, um, I, I'm going to have it finished and ready to send in September. Oh, wow. I, I am. My mom died on September 6th, just to get in the weeds here with you. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of, Lucretia, targeting that day, September 6th of this year, um, to send it to my agent. Now, let me address that because I didn't have an agent with Mama Bone. But uh, because of the success of Mama Bone and a champion named um, Mary Alice Monroe, who actually uh, wrote the forward to Mama Bone, um, I have an agent now. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not just any, I mean, she is so good and so perfect for me. She's incredibly tender. Um, and I, I want to have it to her um, no later than September 6th. So that's what I'm, you know, I work, at, my writing schedule is four in the morning until four in the afternoon. Wow. And that's why I'm just pouring it on. And then let me mention one other thing. Yeah. It, w- it was 1950. It was November 28th, 1950, when the federal government made this big announcement that threw all these people off their land. <sighs> So if you do the math, 75 uh, years from 1950 is 2025, which means that November 28th, 2025, there's going to be a 75th year commemoration. 
Oh, wow. And I am hoping, I am hoping to have um, Eula's novel out in time for that. Yeah. To, to kind of tie in with the 75th commemoration of um, the bomb plant. We call it the bomb plant here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. The universe is <laughs> the universe has been so good to you. There it's going to we're just going to declare it right here. It's going to happen. Oh. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You know what? Let's just do that. And let me universe go ahead now and say thank you. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Now, if there's someone out there who's wanting to write, maybe they're writing quietly, they're longing to live the life of a published author, no matter how, you know, you've talked about the hard work that goes into it, what advice would you have for them? Well, first off, I'd say, how badly do you want it? <laughs> this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Everything else by comparison has come easy, to be honest with you. This is... I, 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 and I say, do you feel like, do you feel called to do it? I say, if you feel called to do it, you feel as though it's part of your life's work to be a writer, then by George, by George, you put your B-U-T-T in that chair and you present yourself. Yes. And, and, and you just flat do it. Uh, I think a regular schedule is incredibly important. Even if you can only give the work 30 minutes a day, you give it, you show up for it. When you show up for it, it shows back up to you. Plus, the universe knows you're serious about it. So I mean to tell you, um, and, and I would also say to let go of expectations in your own little timeline, because I can look back on mine and squash <laughs> to pieces. Yeah. In other words, I think what I'm saying, Lucretia, is to let go of outcome. If you must write, you feel led to write, then you let the writing be enough. And you let the universe work out how it's going to be published and where and how and when. You've just got to honor your part of it right now, which is to get it written and to give your full heart and attention to it yeah. when you put your b-u-t-t -T in that chair that's amazing that's absolutely beautiful and what are your goals for this upcoming year well i i'm gonna have this book <laughs> I, all right so here's here it is and it's it's pretty um it's pretty small i mean i don't have all these goals like all over you know like a lot of people oh, i want to do this do this this nope i want to i want to finish eula I want to give her everything I have, and then I want to send it to my agent, and I want the book sold this year. Yeah. And, and beyond that, sweetheart, I'm good. I think that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's enough. That's, that's, that's it right there. That's Absolutely. what I want. And people, <laughs> and people want to get a copy of your book. I know you're super busy, um, so I don't want to keep you too much longer, but if people want to get a copy of your book or find out more information about you, where can they go? Well, I think my website will be maybe the best thing to get started, and that's just uh, brenmcclain.com. It's very easy. I'm also very avid on Facebook. You know, I've got a presence on Instagram. I've got a presence on Twitter. Twitter is kind of minor. Instagram is 
moderate, but <laughs> I'm a big Facebook person. Um, and so, you know, I'm people almost every day will post something about a cow or picture of a cow, video about a cow, my Facebook thing. So you could keep up with me on, on Facebook, I think is the biggest like social media platform of mine. But you can go out to my website and, you know, read some backstory or whatever you want to read like that. Okay, awesome. And we'll get those. Oh, also, I have a, also, also, yeah. YouTube. I have a YouTube channel. You do? So a lot, yeah, a lot of uh, Mama Red videos are on there and some kind of some videos from the book tour and all like that. People might enjoy the YouTube channel, the yeah. Brent McLean uh, YouTube channel. I'll get all that posted in the show notes. And that's, I can't, I'm going to check out your YouTube channel. Did not know you were out there on YouTube. Yes, 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 I am. Well, Mama Red, because I was shooting videos of her, blah, blah. It was just seemed kind of a natural thing to do. I love it. I love it. And thanks to you, Mama Red can live on forever. And she can inspire other people. And who knew a cow could bring so much joy to the world? Yeah. But you know what? You just, you just, I, and I should say something else about writers. Can I, can I yes, do an please, addendum please. to my answer on that? Yeah, please. Um, um, I, now, this is what I believe. All right. I believe that you, you must write the story that is yours and yours alone to write you know get rid of the marketing stuff like a cow brand really a cow who wants to read about a cow that's not a popular thing don't you want to switch that to a dog you know that kind of stuff get rid of that get rid of that write the story that is yours and yours alone to write pour yourself into it give them give your story your whole heart that's amazing yeah when you give it your heart Mm -hmm. it'll just take care of itself that's it that's enough said what you just said right there enough said <laughs> enough said end of story bye-bye <laughs> i appreciate you so much and your time and i cannot wait for this book to come out thank you thank you for your support lucretia you've always been a huge advocate and i couldn't thank you more well, it's because you are such an uh, inspiration and have been an advocate in others and myself as well. And I am forever grateful. Oh, well, <laughs> I look forward to holding your book one day, girl. It's going to happen. Signing your book. It is going to happen. I will, and your book to me. I will cry the happiest of happy tears on that day. <laughs> yeah, and I'll cry them with you, okay? <laughs> Perfect. That's it with Brent McLean. Next week, we talk with Steph Davis, a yoga instructor, writer, and a very busy mama. And I think it's surprising, like some mornings, I'm like, I don't need to, I don't need to do that. Sun salutation or two. No, no problem. But then I feel it later. And then like, that's not true. Like you do need it. It's not, it's not like a, a it's similar and yet not like a vitamin C, like, oh, this makes me feel good. It's like this, it has 24 hour 12 hour repercussions like you have to get into it <laughs> hey thanks for listening to journey to the rise please do follow us on your podcast app so you have the latest episode downloaded if you want to follow us on instagram our account is at journey to the rise podcast this episode was research produced and edited by girl boss productions and remember to be kind to yourself when you are kind to you it is easier to be kind 
to others. I'm Lucretia, and you've been listening to Journey to the Rise. Thank you.